come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. And here we go. And coming to you live from sunny San Diego studio, it's the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got T-Bag, a.k.a. Adam Narlock, in the house tonight. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Aloha, my brothers. And welcome to episode 91, where, move over, Yuri, we're talking about the real first man in space, and possibly the polka king of the Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the case of George Adamski. Yes, so in this episode, we are getting into one of the most curious and controversial characters in UFO lore. As Rob said, quite possibly the first man in space, Professor, that's Professor George Adamski. Curious George. Mm. <laughs> yes, now, now Adamski rose to popularity beginning in the late 1940s, uh, taking countless photos of what he claimed were flying saucers. Adamski gained many quote-unquote followers all over the world. He was even invited by Queen Juliana of the Netherlands to her palace in 1959 to discuss extraterrestrials. Uh, And Adamski himself claimed that he had held a secret 1963 meeting with the Pope. Uh, This came with many skeptics as well, Arthur C. Clarke, the author of 2001 A Space Odyssey, hated this guy. Um, He said he not only denounced his work, but also characterized his believers as, quote-unquote, nitwits. And even experts in the field like J. Allen Hynek, who was the consultant on the Air Force's UFO Investigation Project Blue Book, dismissed Adamski's photos as crude fakes. Contrary to popular belief, he is the originator of Instagram. Got a lot of followers, putting up a lot of fake pictures. Now, I will say, if any woman from the Netherlands invites you over to do anything at all, you take that meeting. And make sure you bring <laughs> yeah. a camera with you. Yeah, and he would, he, would, he would use that as like proof of that what he was talking about was genuine fact. Now, he would also report that he had met and conversed with a visitor from Venus in the California desert. He wrote several books, including Flying Saucers Have Landed in 1953, the sequel Inside the Spaceships in 1955, and Flying Saucers Farewell in 1961. Now, as he also described further meetings, not only with Venusians, Venusians, is that someone from Venus? Venusians? Venusians, but also with occupants of Mars and Saturn. Now, according to Adamski, every planet in our solar system was populated with life forms, as well as the dark side of the Earth's moon. Shout out to Pink Floyd. Shout out Transformers, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So, Robots in disguise. Do you guys, had you ever heard of this guy before? What do you know, if anything? Uh, What do we got? I had heard nothing of this guy until we started doing this uh, research for this podcast, if I'm being quite honest. This is my first time hearing of him. <clears throat> okay. Right now is Adam's first and time. yeah, fellow <laughs> uh, fellow Polish national. This guy uh, also has Adam in his name. <laughs> yeah, this guy's right up your alley. I'm surprised he, he's like a hero of your country, so to speak. 
Now, what dosage of mushrooms was this guy taking when he met with the person from Venus out in the California desert? Well, we'll get to that because I've got that in here. So without further ado, let's get into his life and time. So I'll set the scene for you. The year is 1891. Uh, The great blizzard of 1891 hits England, killing 200 people and 6,000 animals. Uh, Carnegie Hall had its grand opening and first public performance. Nebraska just introduced the eight-hour workday. And Thomas Edison had patented his motion picture camera. And in what is now Poland, on April 17th, 1891, Mr. George Adamski was reportedly born. Now, T-Bag, what do we got on Poland back in the 1890s? Because I guess it wasn't Poland. Yeah, long history of going between like German occupation, Prussian occupation, Russian occupation. Okay, so at the time he was born there, it was not Poland. Everyone's trying to get a piece, you know? Or it was just Poland just (laughs) under German occupation. Uh, I would imagine at that time, off the top of my head, it was probably a different country. Like, yeah, like it's like Poland, but it's controlled by an invading army, invading country. They kind of absorb it all in. Okay. And have you seen the Polish women? Can you blame them? So, so would you consider this guy? <laughs> would you consider this guy Polish? Yeah, I mean, if he's born in that area of the map, present day Poland, yeah. Okay, so his parents immigrated to the United States when he was about two years old. Uh, so he grows up in Dunkirk, New York. That is in the northern part of the state. Now he's he has a pretty poor childhood. Little formal education, uh, but he was apparently a bright kid nonetheless. Uh, Now, from 1913 to 1916, beginning at the age of 22, he spent some time in the U.S. Army fighting at the Mexican border during the Pancho Villa expedition. Now, following his time in the Army, he gets married. He's kind of drifting around, works a bunch of different jobs here and there, eventually settles in Los Angeles, where he became a concrete contractor. Now, around this time, he also became fascinated with the esoteric occultist religion, theosophy. Uh, and this, this is going to be important later on, so just remember this. Keep this in mind. Uh, and he also was obsessed with a variant called neo-theosophy. Now, the TLDL on theosophy, if you, if you aren't familiar with that, I think we discussed it... Uh, I mean, theosophy is a religion established in the United States during the late 19th century, uh, primarily founded by Russian occultist Helena Blavatsky, and it draws its teachings predominantly from her writings, uh, categorized by scholars of religion as both a new religious movement and part of the occultist stream of Western esotericism. It draws upon both older European philosophies and Asian religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Now, I believe we discussed this in our Jack Parsons series and maybe the Foo Fighters episode. Go ahead and check those out if you haven't already. And that name, Blavatsky, looks really familiar, so I think you're right. Yeah, th- like Foo Fighters, it was like her writings that eventually kind of got twisted into like the Thule Society and then it becomes like Nazism and Hitler and stuff. And then lyrics for a band, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that as well. Also, Aleister Crowley was like super into this stuff. Now, as presented by Blavatsky, theosophy basically teaches... Now, this is the important part. So this is like the cliff notes on the religion, but... 
Basically, she teaches that there's an ancient secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as the Masters, who, although they were like all across the world, they're centered in Tibet. Now, these Masters are alleged by Blavatsky to have cultivated great wisdom and spiritual powers, and her followers believe that it was they who initiated the modern theosophical movement through disseminating their teachings via Blavatsky. This is sounding a lot like uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that, um, that Steve Ditko and them drew some inspiration from this stuff because they believe that these masters are attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion once found across the world and which will again come to eclipse the existing world religions. So it's kind of like one world government, but with religion. Mm, definitely strange. Okay. Got that right. <laughs> yeah. I uh, wonder what they're putting in the water in LA because around that time seems to be the place where people are just making shit up for religion. Around religion that time. Lives. Well, again, remember we talked Scientology, yeah. baby. And remember, it, remember we talked about on our last episode, like religions were able to just kind of evolve freely in the US. So you get all these weird, crazy. That's why people come to the US, just make shit yeah. up. Make a religion, like L. Ron Hubbard, make a religion, well, get rich. We should make our own, yeah. <laughs> That's why I said Scientology. Yeah. So, so just keep that in mind because this guy's obsessed with that. So he, he's heavy into this stuff. Come and to it, LA, make up your own religion. Adamski's say on the fucking sign. Adamski's heavy into this stuff. Uh, by 1930, he had climbed his way up to minor success within the California occult scene. Uh, now, about the mid 1930s, he became a self-proclaimed professor of metaphysical philosophy, and he founded the Royal Order of Tibet which aimed to promote Eastern spirituality to the West and to organize a broad reflection of the theme of the spiritual structure of the universe in the light of the teachings of the masters of Tibetan wisdom. So he's basically just taking theosophy and putting his own little twist on it. Another Western white guy making a profit, exploiting the Eastern European, or sorry, East Asian religion, culture. Yeah. Because, again, you look at Blavatsky doing this shit, you look at this guy doing this, it goes back to what we were saying even last episode. Like, the Orient and, like, Asia and, like, those religions became, like, fascinating and, like, they were, like, mystic religions to people back then because they didn't know what the fuck it was. Mm. And it's not like people had the internet. They couldn't just go look this shit up. Um, now, Los Angeles Times reported that the royal order had bought an old estate in Laguna Beach, California, and planned to establish the first Tibetan monastery in America on this site. Is that still around? We should go check that out, if so. I do not believe it's around, because I was trying to find it, and it's it's not even no... Like, that That was not the first Tibetan monastery. Something else was. Mm. Um, now, Adamski also told the reporter he lived in, quote, The ancient monasteries of Tibet as a child... I learned great truths up there on the roof of the world. So it's 1930s. What's going on in America? Great Depression. Great D. Little thing called prohibition as well. That's just Ooh. part of the Great Depression. Now, <laughs> <That's why everybody's> depressed. <laughs> now, the Royal Order of Tibet was given a government license to make wine for quote unquote religious purposes during prohibition. Adamski was quoted as saying, I made enough wine for all of Southern California. I was making a fortune. <laughs> so, 
guy's turning it into a cash cow. Yeah, and we already know this guy is just in it for the money. Now, in 1936, he mm. penned the book Wisdom of the Masters of the Far East. Now, I was looking this up. The tagline is, have you lived before? What is science? What is love? What is intuition? Do the gifts of God meet the needs of man? Do you need wine in Southern California? Because I got you. So I guess this is more or less just, again, his take on um, theosophy. It's just kind of him putting his own spin. He's doing his own religion thing. He's making wine. He's living in Laguna Beach. Um, now, 1940. Must be nice. Adamski, <laughs> his wife, and some close friends moved to a ranch near California's Palomar Mountain. Now, this is not far from where you used to live, Rob. This is um, true. Now, once here, they basically dedicated their time to studying religion, philosophy, and farming uh, in 1944 with funding from Alice K. Wells, who was one of his students. They purchased 20 acres of land at the base of Palomar Mountain along Highway S6. Uh, here, they build a home, a campground called Palomar Gardens, and a small diner called Palomar Gardens Cafe. And um, at the campground and diner, Adamski himself would give lectures on Eastern philosophy and religion to uh, students, tourists, basically anybody who'd listen. Um, this was his, again, this was like his personal mixture of Christianity and Eastern religions. He called it universal progressive Christianity and universal law. Well, there's a blueprint right there, boys. We make our own religion, buy our own little plot of land. Ground. Whoa, 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 we don't buy it. We get someone to buy it for yeah. us. Yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's religion 101. And <laughs> we also need to muddy our history, like we I said. We keep the money that we make off selling the alcohol, but... Oh, perfect. Everyone else pays for our shit. Also <laughs> tax-free religious organization. There we go. Um, so we'll some podcast gym. from outer space. <laughs> so it's 1946. Now, in terms of UFO history, at this point, we're post-World War II phase of the whole UFO craze. So we've really only got the Foo Fighters. Uh, I mean, we're still a year away from the Kenneth Arnold sighting and the Roswell incident. Check out all three of those episodes if you haven't already. But like I said, we're in the post-war UFO craze. Now, George Adamski saw his first UFO on October 8th and on October 9th in 1946 in Palomar Gardens. Uh, while watching a meteor shower with a six-inch telescope, Adamski spotted, quote, A large black object similar in shape to a gigantic dirigible and apparently motionless. Now, a dirigible, that's like a blimp. Speaking of blimps, be sure to check out that website, Grab Yourself a Shiesty Nation Blimp Hat. The world is yours, baby. Or dirigible hat. Um, <laughs> so, Whichever one you want to call it. So Adamski, he sees this large cigar-shaped craft. Now, some people just say, hey, this is your imagination. Or, hey, you just misidentified a blimp. Um was but, it Goodyear Blimp flying around back then? Well, it is interesting to note that people in San Diego did claim to see a UFO around this same time. Dude, it all happens down in Southern California. We witnessed one while recording. Yeah, and more or less, like this story is kind of unique because at this time, like we said, there wasn't many sightings in general, uh, let alone of a cigar type craft. Like typically, it would be like a Kenneth Arnold sighting where it's like a saucer shaped craft or. <clears throat> the the classic disc craft, um, but the cigar type craft, you didn't really see that too much. So that's a little interesting there. Um, 
Now, Unless you were out there smoking a couple stogies. <laughs> yeah, it's just holding the cigar up. Uh, now, according to Adamski, it was this series of sightings that led him to dedicate himself fully to the study of the UFO phenomenon. Now, Adamski's next sighting would be in August of 1947. And this time, he didn't see just one. He saw an entire fleet, at least 184 by his count, passing through the sky in waves of 32 saucers per wave. Mm. That's some Independence Day type shit. Yeah, now in 1949, Adamski writes a book titled Pioneers of Space, A Trip to the Moon, Mars, and Venus. In this fantasy story, Adamski wrote about meeting aliens and traveling with them to Venus, Mars, and the moon. Now, I thought this was important because this was branded as a straight-up fantasy novel. So at this point, this guy is basically like the L. Ron Hubbard of ufology. He's writing pure sci-fi fantasy books, and then later down the line, he's flipping that into nonfiction, saying, oh, this is actually true. <laughs> okay. You know, like, it's kind of similar because, because this was later rewritten basically word for word as a nonfiction book inside the spaceships in 1959. And this book was like one of the books largely responsible for the UFO craze of the 50s and 60s. Um, but later that same year, back in 1949, Adamski attached a camera to his six-inch telescope and he began scanning the skies at every opportunity. Now, he claimed that the U.S. military urged him to do this, uh, rig his, his telescope with a camera, and soon he had what he considered two good UFO pictures. Now, there are an example of two of his pictures. Uh, Why is that one so zoomed in? It's Remember, it's through a telescope. He's got a six-inch telescope with a camera rig attached to it. That's what he calls it, a six-inch telescope. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, because I was thinking, like, six-inch telescope, that, that's pretty small. Is it six-inch, like, the <laughs> lens, six-inch the lens across or full length? I think when you measure telescopes... It's a cross, right? That I don't know. No, no. I th see, I think it's like the lens diameter. Okay. So that's a pretty big telescope, yeah? Depends who you ask. Well, it's not the, <laughs> the length. We're going with uh, diameter, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Depends on how you measure it, I guess. Yeah, so he's got these two great pictures. Um, now, by the end of 1952, the sky surrounding Palomar Mountain had become Adamski's own personal UFO shooting gallery. He estimated that he took over 500 flying saucer photos, from which he got maybe a dozen good ones. He says from these, he provided prints to the Air Force, but of course, he kept the negatives. So around this time, newspapers, magazines, um, they're publishing his photos, and he would eventually start lecturing as an authority on UFOs. Bro, these are the most sus photos. <laughs> well, but also, you got to think, this is 1952. This one looks like it's got a wheel. Like It looks like he took like a tank and put something funny on it. This one looks like someone dropped a coin or a cookie or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like this a, one, look, one looks like a fucking lamp. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but again, you know, we have to think in context of 1952. 
So well, what I'm reading online is that a telescope is measured from the optical sighting to where the image is formed. So that to me says length, not okay, not diameter. All right, we're off the telescope bit. Well, but this guy's got a six-inch telescope. I was trying to figure out what, <laughs> okay. we're, not, what we're working with. He's got a six-incher. We know that now. It's about average size. Back to his photos, though, because I do want to. <laughs> I do want to make this point. Yes, these photos do look sus to us. But this one looks like a goddamn Christmas ornament. Think about let's think <laughs> about this in context of video games. Look at N64. You remember when that came out? It was fucking state of the art. It was mind blowing. Look at it now. Okay. Looks like a bunch of fucking squares running around. Well, maybe okay. show me a modern day UFO pic that doesn't look like shit. You can you find can. a bunch of them. Talk to our buddy Tom DeLong. We'll go. I, I tried to, but he recently <laughs> shut down to the stars in Encinitas. So that doesn't sound very good to me. All right, all right. Back to Adamski. Now, he's he's taking all these photos. Uh, as we said, he's starting to give lectures. The newspapers are picking it up. Now, this move may have been a stroke of genius, or this guy just got lucky with a, a, a dice roll, a lucky dice roll He's a roll flim here. flam artist. Well, listen to this, because as we said, he set up his campground around the base of Mount Palomar. At the top of the mountain is the famed Palomar Observatory. Now, Adamski built a wooden observatory at the campground to house his six-inch telescope, his famous six-inch telescope. And <laughs> a whole house for that? <laughs> that's why I thought it was a cross, <laughs> because that would be way bigger. But anyways, Adamski himself... Um, Either way, this looks like a fucking shower head well, with some beads in it. So visitors and tourists often got the false impression that Adamski himself was an astronomer connected to the observatory. So pretty much because this guy just happened to set up shop at the base of this mountain near the observatory, people just assumed he was a professional astronomer. There you go. Right. So, I mean, that's, I, that's either a stroke of genius or it's just pure luck on his part. I don't know if he planned that. Flim Flam, Adam because said it first. Do you think he planned that? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Okay, so... Guy's a, guy's a novelist. Now, this is when he received the official nickname Professor Adamski, and he appears to have encouraged this himself. Uh, maybe he <laughs> even gave himself the nickname. You know, that's actually a professor. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're just correct. So he's running a restaurant. He's got his telescope. Maybe guests are coming in and he's just correcting him, telling him he's a professor. He's giving lectures on UFOs. Much like our own Mr. A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> professor A, we'll start calling him. <laughs> now, yeah, he often implied or claimed to possess various academic degrees. Yeah, just like Adam. <laughs> <laughs> when in reality, Adamski held no graduate or undergraduate degree from any accredited college or university. He only had a third grade education. It's like looking into a mirror. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so now let's get in. So, you know, he's established himself within the confines of like ufology and UFO lore. Even though he only made it to the third grade. Even though he only made it to the third grade. <laughs> now let's get into Adamski's contact cue the star trek music space the final frontier what well, crazy son of a bitch so on november 20th 1952 adamski along with six of his friends drove into the desert and it is said that somewhere between Parker, Arizona and Desert Center, California, Adamski had contact with an extraterrestrial. 
So this is somewhere along the CA-62 or the CA-177 because I was looking up this route they took. Now, according to the legend, the group parked their car in a desolate area and Adamski walked out into the desert and had an encounter. He met with Orthon, who was an astronaut on a UFO scout ship. The duo communicated by telepathy, words, and by drawing on the ground. Orthon was from Venus. He was dressed in a brown overalls jumpsuit. The Venusian was 5'6", and his hair reached his shoulders. He was described as Nordic, a majestic figure with a highly developed forehead and long blonde hair evoking a cascade of golden shine. Now, I'm all on board here, except these brown overalls. This guy was just on, like, peyote and saw, like, a farmer. That was telling him to get the hell out of here. (laughs) So if you're not familiar with the Nordics, uh, I've got in the book reported... uh, Illustrated Guide to Reported Alien Species. So this book breaks down the Nordic humanoids as uh, an attractive alien race depicted as tall, muscular humans with blonde hair, blue eyes, wearing skin-tight bodysuits made of a one seamless piece of space-age material. Now, the majority of people who say they've been contacted by these extraterrestrials report that they seem to be interested in the health of Earth and spiritual growth of humankind. This guy uh, said, fuck it today, I'm wearing the overalls. Yeah, I guess this guy <laughs> said, you know, I'm in my lounging clothes, let me throw the fucking brown overalls on. Um, and he's maybe just mulling around in the desert, runs into a damski. All by himself. Now, according to Adamski, Orthon had the appearance of a human being, but Orthon's beauty was greater than anything Adamski had known or even imagined before. He later described it as, quote, The beauty of his form surpassed anything I had ever seen, and the pleasantness on his face freed me of all thought of my personal self. I felt like a little child in the presence of one with great wisdom and much love. From him emanated a feeling of understanding and infinite kindness with absolute humility. So at this point, they touch palms. That's and what they call it. <laughs> is this going to be like that one where you made me read the porno? No, this is not erotica. This is like the case I looked up. I guess there's a bunch of different renditions of this, but I kind of piece this together with um, different places I found the story. So after they touch palms... Adamski went on to describe that Orthon's flesh was as soft as a baby's. He also claimed that Orthon lived on another plane of consciousness than ours, a plane that could be described as a spiritual octave or fifth dimensional frequency and which we now call the fifth quantum reality. But he had the opportunity to materialize in our third space-time dimension of physical frequency. Now, this to me is kind of interesting because this reminded me of the Mount Shasta aliens. Check out that episode on Mount Shasta that we did if you haven't listened to that one already. Do you remember in the Shasta episode we talked about the guy that wrote the book and they were all ab- it was all about like how the pyramids had these crystals and they were like vibrations to yep. be able to see these beings and they lived in a different dimension. There's it's a like, certain vibration there yeah, that yeah. allows them to travel. To travel and get to it is a very scientific. This is like but this is also kind of getting into like Gwyneth Paltrow crystal knowledge and shit like that, you know? Mm. 
Don't know about that. Well, yes, because the crystals, uh, the crystals allow them to appear in our realm and the vibrations and didn't hear anything about crystals energy. Right there. Oh, it was in um, it was in Mount Shasta. I'm talking about this one right now. Oh, crystals. What you what you know about crystals? He had a crystal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he had a crystal. Maybe Adamski had a crystal in his forehead, like uh, Uzi Man. Uh, or little Uzi Vert. Yeah, little Uzi Vert. Uzi Man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Vision? Now, also, like, did little Uzi Vert just watch um, Rick and Morty? Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, yeah that's my good. <laughs> that's I do sick. it as the crystal it. guides. It just clicked, man. Yeah, so, okay. So he's talking about the f- vibrational frequencies of Orthon. Now, when they finally get around to communicating, Orthon made Ademski understand telepathically that he and other saucer occupants had come on a peacekeeping mission. He said they were concerned about the radiation leaving Earth. Adamski asked if this concern was due to the radioactivity in our nuclear detonations. Adamski described that Orthon understood his thoughts even before he finished expressing them, and he nodded in the affirmative. It became clear that Orthon had come to deliver some type of message, and that message was more or less that Earthlings should stop messing around with atomic bombs before they destroyed their entire planet. Now, to further accentuate his point and to show that he had picked up at least one word of English, Orthon added, quote, boom, boom. (laughs) So so this fucking highly intelligent being is communicating with him telepathically about not using uh, radioactive weapons and nuclear bombs, and he just says, boom, boom. It's like, yeah. But also, if we think about this story, we break this story down. This is basically the plot of The Day the Earth Stood Still, which came out a year prior. Mm. Correct? Also wrote the lyrics for that band in uh, Xenon. Yes, uh, Protozoa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that Orthon... Yeah, but but he he makes his heart go boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Because it's his supernova girl. Yeah. So I think what we've connected here is that Orthon was actually the famous musician in Xenon Protozoa who came because he had, he had it's blonde actually Orthon's hair. son. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that'll be the ender here uh, because <laughs> he's saying zoom, zoom, zoom. He's making his heart go boom, boom, boom. Um, and... But it's a, yeah, this message is just that like it's the same. It's the plot to the day the Earth stood still. This guy probably saw this and was like, "Nobody else has seen this. I can spin this as an actual genuine encounter." Um, now the group that accompanied Adamski were not present at this meeting, and accounts differ as to just what the hell happened out there in the desert. Some records indicate that some members saw some sort of craft. Other records say they saw nothing at all. One story even claims that Orthon left boot prints in the sand. And obviously, plaster casts were made of these boot prints and sold at a later date. Classic. And this is so, this is two things. This is also like, maybe they were just tripping on peyote and they saw like a boot print in the desert and thought it was an alien boot and make plaster cast to sell it. Or this is like the whole Joe Dirt bit of like the flat, the turd meteor. And he's like, that's space peanut. 
you know, <laughs> like Adamski takes this cast to like a place, and the guy's like, "This is just a this is a boot. It says Timberland right there." And he's like, "That's space boot." <laughs> you know? like, it's like that footprint we saw at the. Uh... What's that museum? We oh, when to? we were doing the research on Proctor Valley. Yeah, when we did yeah. the research. Oh, another episode to check out. Proctor Valley Monster. We did our research. We went down to the museum. Where is that? In Chula Vista? Yeah. It's a Chula Vista Cultural Museum, I think. Bonita. Yeah, shout out to the Bonita Cultural Museum. They have a plaster cast of the Proctor Valley Monster. Proctor Valley Monster. Just looks like um, a footprint. <laughs> or just like a, no, it looks it looks kind of like it would be it would belong to like the elephant man or something. Could be. Is trouncing around down there. Okay, so so what are we thinking at this point of Adamski? His claims, his photos, his UFO research. What are we thinking? It's interesting that he's the only one that ever encounters this shit. Okay, okay, yeah. So I was listening to another podcast the other day, and it's like. If you were to become president, and I promise there's a point to this, I'm not just going off on a tangent, right? Like to think that you could even become president, you you have to think like your shit don't stink, man. You know what I'm saying? Yes, clear, clearly. Look at all our presidents. This, yeah, right. This guy's out here thinking he's going to be president, man. He could tell anybody anything, call himself the fucking professor. Uh huh. And people just buy into it. Okay, so you're saying again, there's no, there's no genuine. Um, there's nothing real to this. There's nothing tangible. You're saying this is all just because this guy is wheeling and dealing, making a dime, flim flam at its finest. I don't want to say there's, yeah, I don't want to say there's nothing real to it. But the guy, I mean, he could sell a ketchup flavored popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Okay, okay, got it. Ketchup popsicle. Now, so maybe this guy's just a hell of a salesman. You know, sounds like it. You know, he's like, hey, this is genuine UFO boot print. I saw, you know, this. I see Orthon. I see Orthon <laughs> in desert, man. Uh, uh, he wearing overalls. And maybe. blonde hair. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Okay. Beautiful man. Beautiful man. Uh, okay. We touch palms. <laughs> so following this incident, this sighting is what really, like, Adamski quickly became the most famous contactee. Uh, now, some go as far as crediting him for really giving birth to the contactee movement as a whole, which countless others would follow in the decades to come. I mean, we talked about this on our, uh, I believe it was our Grays episode with the Betty and Barney Hill case. You remember? Mm, Fifty Shades of Grays. Yes. <laughs> Check that one out. Is this like the original Me Too movement? Well, here. Well, people start coming forward and, oh, yeah, I saw aliens, too. Uh, kind of similar, but I mean, we'll get into it because Betty and Barney Hill wasn't until 10 years after uh, Adamski's contact. Hey, it happened 20 years ago, but they I saw the aliens, okay? But, no, 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 I'm saying like... Uh, I know, I'm... I'm okay, okay. so you're saying they push it back, further back and further yeah. back. Yeah, that does happen. But um, I think it's... Always does. Because I didn't even really know this, but I think it's important to make this distinction because there is a difference between a contactee account and a straight-up abduction account. Which, did you guys know this? Well, yeah, because contact is just when you make contact. Abduction is when they actually bring you onto their ship, correct? Well, that is not correct. 
contactees. No. One time you give consent, the other time you don't. Yeah, pretty much that's what it boils down to, maybe. <laughs> um, no means no, guys. We'll get into a little side rant on the whole contactee movement because contactee accounts are different from straight up alien abduction accounts in that contactees usually describe positive experiences involving humanoid aliens, most commonly being the Nordics, as we said, and abductees rarely describe their experiences positively. This is lots of uh, probing, experimenting, uh, plucking buttholes, sample taking, <laughs> shit like that. Well, yeah, because you're getting taken onto a damn alien ship. You well, wake the up contactees, and you're like, where the fuck am I? But the contactees are also being taken on. They're also being taken on the ships. They're just being Not shown in this stuff. Case. We'll get there. Uh, now there sounds like bullshit. We'll get to that a little later. <laughs> There were definitely contactees that existed before Adamski, but he really brought widespread attention. You know, he went mainstream with it. Writing books about it. Uh, yeah, and this is where we get to the side rant, uh, because I kind of strung these up. Um, so let me know if you guys are tracking, because even though many of these early experiences are not linked to flying saucers or aerial phenomenon, it's worth taking a look at this pattern, because there seems to be a long history of claims of contact with non-earthly intelligences. I mean, hell, even the bedrock of many of the world's religions involve contact between the founder of that religion and a supernatural source of wisdom, like a deity in a uh, human form or an angel from the heavens. We tracking? Oh, yeah. We tracking. <clears throat> and again, this is almost into a, like ancient alien territory here, but let's take a look. In this context, you could assume that the 1950s and 1960s contactees would form their own religions uh, with the contactee as the sole spiritual leader. And that's precisely what many of them did. I mean, we were just talking about Adamski forming his own religion, but then he later develops that into like he was the contactee. Again, like we pointed out, he was the only one that ever has experiences with these guys. Now, what about a lot of cults too? Well, yeah, exactly. Like UFO cults. Like, um, what was that one that was in San Diego? They did the mass suicide. Heaven's Gate. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, shit like that. I mean, like... Let's take a look at this pattern, because as early as the 18th century, people like Emanuel Swedenborg were claiming to be in physical contact with inhabitants of other planets. Famed Russian occultist Helena Blavatsky, who, as we said, founded Theosophy, which Adamski was into, made claims similar to Swedenborg's as we discussed with the masters, and she was the only one that could disseminate the information she got from these masters. In 1891, Thomas Blott's book, The Man from Mars, was published in which he claimed to have met a Martian in Kentucky. Now, <laughs> that's a great country album, you know? I was going to say, is this guy wearing brown, uh, brown overalls too? Yeah. I met a Martian in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, he reported that the Martian communicated not via telepathy, but in English. Hey, Earthman, you trying to get lucky. <laughs> now, William Magoon's book, William Magoon, colon, Mr. Magoo? William Magoon, <laughs> colon, Psychic and Healer, was published in 1930. He claimed that in the early 20th century, he had been unexpectedly and instantaneously transported to Mars. 
The planet mm. was essentially Earth-like with cities and wilderness. The inhabitants had radio and automobiles, and although they were invisible, Magoon sensed their presence. Now that sounds a little like a John Carter ripoff. Or maybe this guy was like an early uh, Elon Musk. Mm. <laughs> but uh, we also got Guy Bullard. In 1935, he claimed that several years earlier, he and over 100 others witnessed the appearance of 12 Venusians in a cavern beneath Mount Shasta. Now, this is like, we we got into this on our episode, I believe. It was this guy or another guy. There are many books about Mount Shasta aliens. Um, The Venusians played music for the audience, and they showed the crowd a large mirror-like device that displayed images of life on Venus. Mm. Hell yeah. Venus and furs. Now, what do all these stories have in common? Yeah. Looking at this string of contactees, we can note two things. One, pre-1947, none of these contactees involve UFOs. So it's basically like this. There's this existing tradition of extraterrestrial contact via seances, psychic mediums. And then once the flying saucer lore comes about, it's just kind of rolled into it. Sure. You know, because look at the guy in um, the guy that said he went to Mars. You know, this was in 1930 and he he omits the UFO part, says he was just transported there. Not that he was taken on a UFO there because in the 1930s there was no UFO sightings. Now, Mm. now two. Is uh, this guy Jason Satham? (laughs) Yes, he's transported. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, number two, Swedenborg, the guy from the 18th century who is traveling the planets. His planetary exploration stops at Saturn. Now, Saturn at the time was the furthest planet discovered. He did not visit the then unknown Uranus, Neptune, or Pluto. So, you know, you think if this guy really was doing interstellar travel with all these beings, he would have been able to come back and tell us some crazy shit that we didn't know about. But it's just, it just goes to his own knowledge. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because uh, everyone's trying to get you to buy into their <laughs> yeah. bullshit. Maybe they were so far up his anus, he never got to see your anus. <laughs> okay, that's that's great. That's great. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the whole contact D thing. Now, following Adamski's encounter and subsequent rise to minor celebrity, uh, the restaurant where he worked became a sort of tourist attraction. Hmm. So that's good for business. That makes sense, yeah. Business is booming. You know, he's selling burgers. He's flipping patties. He's selling UFO photos, alien merch, you know? No more wine, though? If you want to get yourself some alien merch, check out podcastfromourspace.com. <laughs> That's a great plug. <laughs> we got shirts and pens yeah, of and, Alien Jesus, and, by the way. And, hey, guys, I'm thinking photos coming soon. I got a six-inch telescope. I'm going <laughs> to set it up. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> I'm going to set it up. We're going to put up some signed UFO photos. Pictures of the eight-inch telescope coming soon. <laughs> I've got a six inch. Rob's got an eight inch. T bag's got a four inch. We got the tele. <laughs> we, we got, got a couple tele- of different telescopes <laughs> yeah, we here. Got yeah. the, we got the telescope ranges covered. Now, so as we said, business is booming. He's selling burgers and photos and telescope pictures. <laughs> now, one of the visitors. <laughs> now, one of the visitors drawn in was none other than Edward J. Rupel. 
Uh, he was the head of Project Blue Book at the time. And I believe we discussed this gentleman on our Washington, D.C. UFO Zipsorp episode. Check out that episode if you haven't already. Great episode. So he drops by the restaurant. Zipsorping un- around? Yeah, he drops by the restaurant under the radar in 1953 and he finds Adamski lecturing telling stories of extraterrestrial contact and of course selling copies of his famous UFO pictures now Rupel said to look at the man and listen to his story you had an immediate urge to believe him and he said that he had the most honest pair of eyes I've ever seen now Rupel clearly didn't believe him but he was fascinated by the man's stories And he would later say in his own book, quote, As I left, he was graciously filling people in on more details and the cash register was merrily ringing up saucer picture sales. Now, J. Allen Hynek also paid a visit to Adamski's restaurant along with some fellow astronomers. And although he tried to engage Adamski on more scientific matters, Hynek later recalled, quote, All he wanted to do was send me photos. (laughs) So in his 1955 book, Inside the Spaceships, Adamski claimed that his new friends took him aboard one of their scout ships, flew him to an immense mothership hovering over Earth, gave him a ride around the moon, and treated him to a colorful travelogue about life on Venus. Along the way, he was also (laughs) tutored by a spaceman he called the Master... Master. Uh, the master, who is said to be nearly a thousand years old, shared the secrets of the universe with Adamski, only some of which he was allowed to divulge back on Earth. So here, what's he doing? He's basically ripping straight from theosophy. He doesn't even change the name of these beings. Just uses the master. It's the same thing. Lazy. Yeah, it's the same copy thing. Copy of Blavatsky a copy, is. baby. Yeah, and he's... But it's it's kind of cool because what I mean, depending who you are, if you're a Damsky, it's cool. But he's just he's just ripping from Theosophy and adapting it to the UFO movement. Well, she was ripping from other religions and That's adapting true. it to her exactly. Own but it's like he kind of had to have. I mean, maybe this was all just sheer luck, or maybe he really like. Do you really think he had the foresight? Like this UFO movement's going to be huge. Let me just switch my religion and kind of pivot to that. I mean, he could have seen that it was starting to take off and then ran with it kind of Okay. You know, space race. um, Well, because this is like right around the time Roswell had already happened, right? Yep, 47. So everyone's starting to come out with all these claims, and that's also around the time when like sci-fi movies were starting to boom. Yeah, but his first claim was a year before Roswell. So that's what's like kind of interesting. Trendsetter. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say, man, this guy's like the first influencer. He's got his OnlyFans selling telescope pics. <laughs> yeah. The OG Instagram. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe you guys are on something there. Now, there's also, I kind of wanted to throw this little bit in there uh, because this is known as the Straith Letter Hoax. Now, in 1957, Adamski received a letter signed R.E. Straith. Uh, and this, uh, this was an alleged representative of the Cultural Exchange Committee of the U.S. State Department. 
The letter said the U.S. government knew that Adamski had spoken to extraterrestrials in California desert in 1952 and that the group of highly placed government officials planned on public corroboration of Adamski's story. Adamski was proud of this endorsement and he exhibited it to support his claims. He would go around showing people this letter saying, hey, this is proof. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I know what the fuck I saw. Now, in 1985, ufologist James W. Mosley revealed that the letter was a complete hoax. Mosley said he and his friend Gray Barker had obtained some official State Department letterheads, created the R.E. Straith persona, and then wrote the letter to Adamski as a prank. (laughs) According to Mosley, the FBI investigated the case, discovered the letter was a hoax, but charges were not filed against Mosley or Barker. Now, that's what I found interesting. Yeah. So this these guys hoax him. Maybe was it not a hoax all along? UFO prank. Maybe was the government really saying, "Hey, we know what you're talking about. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go." And then maybe something happened internally. Maybe some switch of leadership, and they said, "Hey, we got to make this guy look like a crackpot." Or maybe Mosley knows something that he shouldn't know, and they were like, hey, we'll let this one slide, but don't be hoaxing these guys again, all right? And they they wouldn't charge these guys with, like, impersonating FBI or something like that? That's what I'm saying. Maybe he knows knows some shit. Okay. Could go either way. Now, Adamski published at least one more book, Flying Saucer's Farewell, in 1961, and continued Mm -hmm. to lecture widely. The coup de gras. (laughs) Yes. Uh, In 1962, Adamski claimed that he had gone to Saturn whereupon a meeting took place with other aliens. But he never went to Uranus. Now, so he's already at this point, he's claimed he's done the meeting with the Pope, he's done the meeting with um, the Queen of the Netherlands, and... She's done it all. Yeah, but this was actually pretty funny, and, and we can throw this bit in there, because in 1959, he like... Okay, so he actually did meet with uh, the Queen of the Netherlands. That is true. That's documented. But because she was just like into UFOs, I guess, and ETs, and she wanted to meet with him. That's what's up. Is there still a queen? I would love to meet the queen of the Netherlands right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe look it up. Maybe we get her on the podcast. Write a couple books, and maybe um, you got yourself a meeting. I'm going to just send her some telescope pics. <laughs> yeah, or that. But in 1962, uh, he also claimed that he had attended a meeting with the Pope. And there was no proof of this. This was just like he had said this, but he said he had received a golden medal of honor from the Pope. But this was just like a souvenir coin that you, <laughs> you could, could buy get. at the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you could buy it at the gift shop. This is fucking classic Adamski. This is like the boot print. He just buys a souvenir coin, thinks nobody else is going to know what the fuck this is, goes back to the U.S. People said it was even like he would show it to people in its cheap plastic box that it comes in the tourist shops in and would present it as like, I met with the Pope. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so then he, pu- he publishes this last book. He's got the Pope claims. Now, his whole philosophy that he learned from the extraterrestrials was basically that, according to Adamski, all of the planets of the solar system are inhabited, as we said at the top. Adamski also preached what the aliens told him, that the universe was a big school. If you, if you got things right on Earth, when you died, you would be born onto another planet. This was like your graduation. Now, <laughs> now, life in the universe was about learning 
wisdom, and growth. Adamski's spacemen claimed that Jesus Christ was an alien master who had incarnated on Earth in order to try to help humanity. Facts. <laughs> yeah, and look what we got the pen to prove it on our website. <laughs> yeah, and look how that turned out for him. Uh, now he was uh, also he's on Mars. Now he graduated, or maybe he went to Venus. Yeah, well, that's the step below Earth. Uh, he was Adamski was. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which way that goes, man. Wouldn't you want to be going closer to the sun? Nah, we got to look into this, dude. I'm going to Venus with these Nordic women. <laughs> that was a man. <laughs> yeah. Nordic man. There's that was a man with the beauty of a woman, dude. Made him uh, made it weird. made his palms tingly. Do you like blonde men? <laughs> that wear brown overalls? Do you like blonde Nordic men with uh metalhead hair? <laughs> Only if they have black metal t shirts. So he was Adamski was also told that Earth was a problem planet. Ain't wrong. There had been many civilizations before ours, but they had destroyed themselves in wars. Humanity seemed to be stuck in a scheme of growth, destruction, start all over. Growth, war, destruction, start all over. Classic. Yep. Humanity, it seems, has been trapped in a cycle of destruction and would never break into a realm of harmony, which would enable the people of Earth to reach new, a new level of wisdom. These stories were very similar to what Adamski had preached years before as the professor and what he had penned in his fantasy book, Pioneers of Space. Now, on April 23rd, 1965, while Adamski was visiting friends in Silver Springs, Maryland, he had a heart attack and died at the age of 74. So poor one out for this guy. <clears throat> now, on the very same day of his death, he told his friends that the aliens were going to visit him. Uh, so maybe this guy graduated to another planet. Was that a euphemism? Metaphor? Maybe. Like, are you asking if what I said was or Ad Adamski's? Uh, what, what, what Adamski said, yeah. Hey, sweetie, uh, Grandpa's not going to be with us anymore. The aliens are coming. <laughs> yeah, so, he went to go hang out with the aliens. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, so he went to hang out with the aliens. He's dead. Uh, now, whoa, whoa, he's hanging out with the aliens. <clears throat> yeah, dead. <laughs> so he's dead here on Earth. He's hanging out with the aliens in the fucking crystal realm, dude. Not a crystal realm. Frequencies. He's on another vibrational frequency. How's that? Fifth dimension. Okay, yes. Fifth dimensional frequency. Now, author Arthur C. Clarke, once again, he claimed that Adamski did, quote, a real disservice by obscuring the truth and scaring away serious researchers from a field that may be of great importance. J. Allen Hynek also held the same sentiment, accusing Adamski and others like him of discrediting the entire field of UFO research. Now, see, I feel like he did the opposite. He kind of brought people in, got an interest yeah. in it. Yeah, but see, it's also like we were saying. I mean, from the jump, we were just making, we were just cracking jokes that, you know, this guy's in it for the money because it seems that way. It's true, but it's at some point someone had to go like, all right, obviously this guy's a hoax, but maybe there's truth behind 
something he's saying. He's got to be, you know what I'm saying? Like, if no one ever talked about aliens, no one's ever going to be interested in aliens. So you're saying, like, maybe they use Adamski as a jumping off point. But then again, I don't know, because, you know, we talk about this a lot, like, uh, in the term of U in the realm of like UFO research. And it's also like the episodes we cover, like there's so much bullshit that you have to sift to, to, to find like the real kernels of truth or the real actually things that like people can't explain or people can't prove. No, I get that. But it's like our Moors episode. If you hadn't learned about the Moors in school and the first time you're hearing about the Moors is from us yeah, we do some joke cracking and stuff throughout the episode, but maybe for someone that sparked something and they wanted to go learn more about the Moors. Okay, but then again, why wouldn't this guy then just try to be credible? Like say, hey, look, like he's not like he didn't have to go fucking selling UFO photos and like all this fucking bullshit that footprints and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about the truth isn't going to get you a lot of money. Okay, there you Just go. The church. <laughs> so uh, that's I guess the, go talk to the Pope. Get that's a what I guess these guys are getting at. Yeah. Now, um, well, I just wanted to drop in one little dime right here. Now, Silver Springs, Maryland. Where is that close to? Mm. DC. Now, do we have any actual credibility that he died of a quote unquote heart attack? What, or is so this guy think, getting taken out by the fucking oh, feds? Okay, there we go. That's a possible theory. And he is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Weird. Which isn't it wow. very hard to get into that? Not if you're a fucking fed. government black ops <laughs> agent. Well, that's Ooh. what I'm saying. Is like, <laughs> okay, d- is that. Is that a fact that he died of a heart attack or did he just fucking go out for a pack of smokes and never came no, back? No, no. Like, he didn't just disappear. I think there is, like, I don't know if there's an autopsy or anything, but I don't think there's any, like... Probably not. I don't Let's think there's any foul play with his death. As far as I can tell. That's what they want you to think. <laughs> okay, again, you're doing the self-sealing thing. Um... <laughs> But no, there are some theories if we want to get into those because this is kind of... Uh, that's not a good theory right there. No, that's these are kind of going off of what you were saying. Some UFO uh, believers or some UFO, I guess, theorists or UFOlogists believe that in order to harm Ademski's credibility with the public, he was duped by federal government or possibly some black ops guys and made to look like a fool. So you're um, saying maybe if we go all the way back to the the letter that he got, maybe that's real. And then ever since then, it's like that all downhill for him. Yeah, I guess. Or, um, I mean, I don't really know. I don't really buy into this theory too much. But this one, okay, this one was like perhaps Adamski was a mere pawn in a grander disinformation plot. Uh, you know, maybe he was a puppet of some secret society that did have control over certain federal black ops cells with the goal of getting the American public's attention off of the real UFO threat or mm. real UFO encounters of the 1950s, okay. like the 1954 flying saucer flap or the 1947 Roswell crash. Because remember, Roswell didn't really, it wasn't really in the public eye until like the 1980s when people started going back and saying like, hey, what was that? So maybe they just kind of used this guy as a pawn to like, like we were saying, add a bunch of bullshit to the, uh, stirring, to the, to the real the stuff. pot, basically. Or, or adding to the pot, mixing the pot with bullshit is what okay. it's called. People think it's so outrageous that it can happen. UFOs aren't really a thing. Yeah. Well, dude, look at what's going on right now. They're releasing, well, they say that they're releasing all the information about UFOs that they know about, but 
I don't see anyone freaking out about it. Yeah, because it, it again, it's like we were just saying with this stuff, looking into UFOs and stuff, like, again, these episodes that I put together, it's fun to talk about and shit, but actually researching and reading the documents and shit is fucking dull and shitty and boring because it's UF, it's government official documents. Like, mm-hmm. I downloaded the shit they released on... Um, what was it like last month? They released yeah. all those. Yeah, I downloaded every document. Sightings, photographs, documents. But all it's like two hundred something documents. But it's like it's just like Project Blue Book type like government things. So it's just like it's a just typed like up report yeah. that's just like saw craft, black craft. And it's like you have to weed through so much. Like it's like doing your taxes, but Yikes. with UFO. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Though, <laughs> you so. know. Uh, but I did read through a lot. There was some interesting stuff in there. Well, that, um, that kind of just speaks to what we were saying before, though. It's like there's only so much you can do by stating your claims and, you know, selling your telescope picks. You got to do something else to make that money, you know? Okay. So, again, it's so maybe there back is to some money. truth, but you got to embellish it a little bit to get the people excited because okay. no one wants to read a fucking 12 page report about. Some fucking alien wearing overalls that you met in the desert. <laughs> yeah, but again, like, are we, are we putting like, so? All right, let me just get to my final thought, and then we'll we'll round this one out because, in that context that we were just talking about, you know, maybe he was a pawn, maybe he was a disinfo agent. Uh, you know, he did essentially cloud the waters of UFO research, and still does to this day. Um. So I mean, given that, like, what's your th- what is your guys' thoughts on Adamski? What is your thought? Like, do we think he's purely a flimflam artist out for the money? Do we think there was any credibility? Uh, do we think maybe the disinfo stuff holds up? What do we got? I'm thinking this guy knew was on to something more than uh, we're led to let on, led to believe. Uh, the government didn't come out and say oh, it's weather balloons, so there's got to be some truth. Um, I think, yeah, like Rob said, you know, at one point he got a little too carried away with the money aspect and that probably strayed him from the truth, I think. Okay. So you think maybe like some of his early sightings in the telescope could be genuine? I would even almost be willing to buy, I mean, there's some sus details, but I would be almost willing to buy his encounter in the desert. Okay. Yeah. Because a lot of people say that these photos, like if you look at his zoomed in photos, it's just like a desk lamp. Or like yeah. a, a chicken incubator is this one with the like ping pong balls. Um, and, it, you know, it really does. Like you can kind of tell. This is like with the Loch Ness monster photo. Like you know how that most famous photo, like when it's zoomed in, it does look like it could be some crazy dinosaur thing. But when you zoom out, you can tell it's just like a little tiny uh, stick thing in the water. Yeah. It's the same with these. Like when you're so zoomed in, it kind of could be something. But then when you're when you really think about it, like you can clearly tell it's like a lamp or something, right? Hey George, is that your telescope or are you just happy to see me? (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that his most credible story could possibly be the encounter with Orthon in the desert. I'm just saying like as an adult, like I I feel like our brains don't work as creatively. So it's not like he just woke up one morning and was like, Oh, I'm going to come up with a story like something. Maybe he didn't meet a Venetian, but maybe he did pop peyote or, you know, do some peyote and go in the desert and encounter a stranger 
in fucking overalls. Maybe he was uh, <laughs> smoking a stogie, yeah, spilled he, some of that devil's yeah. lettuce. Yeah, what happened right. is he ate peyote. He went to see the day the earth stood still. And then he went into the desert like Jim fucking Morrison and <laughs> wrote this fucking story. Probably saw a farmer wearing overalls and thought it was a fucking alien that had skin as smooth as a baby's. And he was beautiful they, trying to fuck him. And they got, palms. <laughs> like, just imagine this farmer's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> He's so high he doesn't understand the English. <laughs> or the, the farmer like, did, he didn't speak my language. Yeah, the farmer like didn't speak English. He's and like he was writing just, fuck off in the sand. And he's saying boom, boom, <laughs> like he's going to shoot him. And he's just like, oh, he doesn't want us making nuclear bombs. Um, hey, yeah. dude, maybe he did meet someone, though. So you think he met an alien in brown overalls? I mean, again, like I said before, you kind of have to embellish things to get people excited. I don't understand really where the brown overalls comes into play there, <laughs> but I mean, it just sounds more exciting than like, oh, I met this fucking like gray, lifeless looking thing with black eyes and it didn't, it talked to me telepathically. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think this guy is full con man because there's too many, like, at, I wanted to believe that these were cool. And when I started this research, I was like, you know, this guy is a big figure. He's popping up constantly. I mean, how many episodes do we reference back to in this one? And yeah. I was like, okay, let's see. And as, as I dive into the research, the thing for me was the connections to theosophy. Because this guy was obsessed with that in the beginning. He starts that out. And then it's like we said, he just pivoted it to the UFO movement. I mean, it's like we said, he wasn't even getting creative calling them the masters. That's just a straight up rip from theosophy. Yeah. And just like you said with the guy that said, oh, I went all the way to Saturn when Saturn's the 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 furthest one. Like, yeah. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Get a little more creative. Smoke some more uh, mushrooms or something. I know. Yeah. Let's get fucking, like, you know, let's get some Get real. to that sixth level. <laughs> yeah. Um, Take a couple more hits of that LSD, all right, bud? Get back to me. But what I do agree on is, I mean, I like to think, as we all know on the podcast we've talked about it numerous times, I like to think that there definitely is some type of other beings out there. Aliens, what's up? I know you guys are out there. And I think this guy was right in the fact that, you know, maybe these guys are friendly coming to Earth just to be like, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? There's a lot of radiation coming off of this planet. Are you guys fucking killing each other again? Stop. You guys are idiots. Stop blowing each other up. Okay, yeah. And that's, again, that's like a common theme we see is like maybe the aliens are, the sightings ramp up after the nuclear bomb detonations um, and you know, that's a common theme we see in UFO history is that like aliens are trying to warn us, like, don't fuck up, you know? It's like anytime a major event is happening, they're kind of like, let's go check on these assholes and make sure they don't get too out of hand. Yeah. And, you know, Adamski, he did stick to his story till the end, including uh, his message he delivered in Flying Saucers Have Landed, which was, quote, My most urgent message and plea to every person who reads it is, let us be friendly. Let us recognize and welcome the men from other worlds. They are here among us. And so, you know, I think we can all get behind that. You know, maybe this guy, this guy was a flim flam artist who sold pictures to um, unwitty tourists or nitwits as they're called. Uh, You know, (laughs) and, 
And maybe he did add a lot of mud to the uh, waters of UFO research, but I think his message was pure, you know? You know, we just gotta... We just gotta all get along, you know? He sold his soul to the UFO. Mm-hmm. And on that... There you have it, George Adamski. Uh, what do we got, a TLDL for this one? Young Polish-American kid making a living off of telling tall tales about aliens. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly could have become president. And there you have it. There we have it, guys. George Adamski, let us know your thoughts. Uh, if we missed anything, uh, anything you want us to cover. I mean, there's a ton more with this guy, like a lot of stuff, but I think these were like the biggest points we hit on. Um, and yeah, there you have it. I mean, if you want more research, check out uh, history.com, George Adamski UFO alien photos, area51aliens.org, George Adamski photos, and Santa Fe Ghost and History Tours.com UFO Man. Um, check those sites out for more information on George Adamski, possibly the real first man in outer space. Quite possibly. And there you have it, guys, on that. And uh, while you're surfing the net, browsing the uh, Santa Fe Ghost Stories, go ahead and check out Podcasts from Outer Space. If you want to check it out, we got merch, we got a. Uh, you know, a little synopsis on the gang here at the podcast and uh, grab yourself some pins, some stickers while you're at it, you know? Uh, also, feel free to hit us up on Instagram, Podcast from Outer Space. Shoot us an email, podcastfromouterspace at gmail.com. And, you know, let us know what you think. Maybe give us a five-star review. Uh, maybe give us a suggestion for what you'd like to hear next. And, you know, as always, Loyal Legion, thanks for tuning in. And with that, if you're allowed on YouTube, make sure you check out our boys at Beal Racing. If uh, TikTok is more your medium, be sure to follow my boy Jerry Bauer, Mr.Bauer27. Much appreciation to the Legion for tuning in and giving us the love and support you all do. And on that note, so long and thanks for all the fish. Super Nova Girl